0: Hi, my name is Anthony Simone, and this is The Yen Podcast, and you're listening to Entrepreneur's Island, which is that island that many entrepreneurs and small business owners place themselves on because they're convinced their problems are unique and no one can help. This podcast is all about sharing those problems, those very common problems, and offering solutions. Today, I'm going to share with you three examples of bad employees experienced by businesses I work with. For each story, I would like you to consider how you would manage these situations. Small business number one. The first example involves an employee who was hired, groomed, and eventually promoted to the position of general manager before moving to a new city as part of strategic expansion. About five years ago, however, both the owner and the vice president of this company began to realize this general manager wasn't a good fit for the job. That was five years ago. That loss of confidence came about as a trend of high employee turnover began to emerge, especially since several employees made it clear in their exit interviews that the general manager was the reason they were leaving. To add to that, vendors also began to refuse to work with his manager. Even customers complained about his arrogant attitude. For the next five years, the situation continued to deteriorate. This manager's poor work performance resulted in significant cost overruns, broken business relationships with their vendors, an ineffective team of employees, and unhappy customers. Growth in this city fell far below expectations, slowing to a turtle's pace even as business in other cities thrived under more suitable general managers. Altogether, this particular manager was costing the company tens of thousands of dollars each year. Now, throughout those five years, the owner and the vice president tried to convince this general manager that he was not the right person for the job, hoping that the general manager would figure it out for himself and leave of his own volition. Instead of being direct, In telling the general manager that things weren't working out, they allowed their company to suffer. Now, if this were your responsibility, if this employee were your responsibility, would you have handled it the same way? If not, what would you do differently? Small business number two. Recently... One of my clients texted me that she wasn't going to be available for a scheduled phone call because she was in the hospital emergency room. Over her 20 plus years working as a chief financial officer, she continued to place an incredible amount of responsibility and pressure upon herself to ensure the company's accounting information was consistently flowing, accurate, and timely as the company's assets grew by 4,000% over that 20-year period. So during these 20 years of growth, the CFO only hired two additional staff members despite complaining that she is terribly overworked. The strain of growing demands and responsibilities were pushing her to the point of incurring physical breakdowns, resulting in her trips to the hospital her company however has never prevented her from hiring more staff she also feels she has the correct amount of staff to meet their day-to-day demands but one problem was having a significant impact on her an employee who constantly erred in his work throughout his 15 years with the company during that time, the CFO made it clear to this employee that these mistakes needed to stop. Unfortunately, the errors continued and the work was only ever 80-90% to 90% accurate, according to the CFO. So, even after all these discussions with this employee about his inaccurate work, the employee remained as part of the CFO's team. What the CFO concluded was that she would simply have to double-check all of his work, adding significantly to her workload. If you were managing an employee like this, how would you handle it? Small business number three. The owners of yet another company shared a story with me about the work expenses of one of their salesmen. This individual used his company credit card to pay for what he claimed was a lunch meeting with a customer. But when the owner reviewed this particular expense claim, she noticed that the lunch receipt had a time stamp of around 9 p.m. The owner's husband also happened to know the customer in question and contacted him, discovering that the customer had never even had lunch or any other meal with this particular salesman. The next day the owner asked the salesman about the lunch receipt. The employee's excuse was that his personal credit card resembled his business credit card, causing him to accidentally use the wrong one. When the owner probed further and asked why this expense was submitted as a work lunch with a customer he had never shared a meal with, the salesman just stared at the ground in awkward silence. When the owner shared this story with me, I immediately asked, So what did the salesman say after you fired him for stealing from you? To my surprise, the owner said this employee hadn't been fired yet. In fact, no action was taken for another week. And by the time the owner finally decided to let him go, the salesman, perhaps out of embarrassment, decided to stop showing up to work resulting in his termination. So how would you have handled that situation? What measures would you have taken, and when would you have taken them? Now that you've considered these three scenarios, would you manage these problematic employees in the same manner as the respective managers? I'm assuming the answer is no. But before you judge or criticize any of these people, you might want to consider whether you've acted in a similar way either in the past or the present. Making excuses to keep bad employees is by far the most common problem I see in business leadership, regardless of how well the company operates. In fact, while all three of these stories occurred within two weeks of each other, I could have easily found Numerous other examples. You might believe you would never find yourself in a similar situation, but before you make that assumption, let's test that conclusion with something I call the contract test. The test works like this. Pretend all of your employees' contracts are limited to a term of one year, and each of them expires at the end of day today you now have the right to rehire as many of those employees as you wish or to let go of those you need to. Let's make it even easier for you. In this hypothetical example, imagine that everyone is used to a one-year term and it's socially acceptable to not have your contract renewed. There's no ill will and parting ways is not taken personally by either party. Now, would you rehire all of your current employees? More than likely, the answer is no. However, this socially acceptable world of canceling annual contracts does not exist, which is why many leaders fall into the same trap as the senior managers described in these examples. And that's understandable because letting go of an employee is hard. When I learn about these types of situations from my clients, I never judge them badly for it. Never. In fact, I empathize with them because I've been there. I, too, have made excuses and held on to bad employees. It's hard enough to manage other people, and it becomes even harder when you're dealing with employees that are failing to perform their job well. If you are having difficulty with some of your employees, then you are probably using one of these four reasons to avoid taking action. The first reason is feeling overwhelmed. One reason many managers ignore the problem is because of what comes next. Often the first thoughts that go through their minds is, if I let this employee go, I'll have to spend a considerable amount of time that I currently don't have. To put together a job description, place an ad to seek new applicants, review all of the resumes, vet the resumes, call potential interviewees, interview them, check their references, and then train the new hire. In the meantime, I will have to do the work of this vacant position until it's filled. The conclusion that most managers reach is that it's simply too much work, so they push it off for another day. Number 2, the nice guy image. The second reason relates to always wanting to be the nice guy. Far too often managers are more interested in being liked than in being fair. Many managers fall into the trap of wanting their employees to regard them as the best manager they ever had. Unfortunately, that kind of mindset prevents a person from making appropriate and sometimes difficult decisions with respect to bad employees. Number three, fear of conflict. The third reason involves managers who fear conflict. If your role includes overseeing employees, then you will have to deal with conflict at some point. There's no way around that. Unfortunately, many managers try to avoid or ignore the problem to the detriment of the entire team and the company. And number four, Blurring boundaries. The fourth reason involves getting too personal with your employees and their families. When a manager creates friendships with his or her employees and doesn't properly maintain enough separation with the people they oversee, it can become very difficult to discipline an employee who has also become a friend. The result Of any of these excuses is that underperforming employees continue to cause more work and stress for the rest of your team, the good employees, to pick up the slack. The longer a manager allows an underperformer to continue with the company, the greater the likelihood that your talented employees will leave. Eventually, this will also catch up to the manager in charge because it creates greater dysfunction within the team. That dysfunction will result in more mistakes, higher turnover, and increased stress, all of which will eventually be noticed by your own boss. But things don't need to go that far. To help you overcome these excuses, here are three easy steps that can guide you to more appropriate outcome. The first step, perform the contract test. Let's return to the contract test. Imagine that all of your employees' contracts end at midnight tonight. Who are you signing back up? Who are you letting go? Any employee that's not being rehired in this hypothetical scenario needs to be addressed. Figure out why those employees are not on your list of keepers so that you can create measurable expectations, hold them accountable, and let them go if they continue to underperform. The second, review your core values. Like I mentioned earlier, I empathize with the managers in the three examples because I've been there. I have also made excuses for bad employees. However, If I were making decisions that were best for the company, I would need not look any further than the company's core values. If I had simply asked myself, is this person following the company's core values and answered no, then I would have understood that it's time to let this individual go. The decision to terminate an employee doesn't really need to be more complicated than that sometimes. And then three, talk to your peers. Be honest with yourself and recognize when you may not be able to evaluate a situation objectively. Sometimes being too emotional or personally invested can make it hard to identify the best decision. Help yourself by asking for an outside opinion. Let your ego aside and share your situation with a peer group or trusted advisors to get an independent and unbiased opinion. These three steps offer the checks and balances you need when faced with an underperforming employee. They will also help you create a more efficient and well-functioning team. While it's easy to let excuses keep you from dealing with bad employees, avoiding the situation will also make it worse. The most effective leaders are the ones that follow these steps to banish the excuses and take confident action to build a stronger team. I hope you If you ever happen to be going down Broadway in Lancaster, New York, you probably won't notice, but there is this building between two houses with a storefront. That's where PRZ Technologies is headquartered. This building, which was built in 1927, reminds me of one of those buildings at Disney. You think it's a small storefront, but then you enter and look around at all the space and you wonder, how is it possible it's this large? That's how I feel when I'm walking into PRZ, and that building opens up to 32,000 square feet of space. And once you're in it, it's really neat to see the amazing contrast between that old-style 1927 building and the -the state-of-the-art cutting-edge machine tools that are all over the place inside it. They have everything from simple mills to five-axis machines. And the facility, well, let me tell you, it's not your standard machine shop. It's clean. I mean, really clean. I mean, you can drop your lunch on the floor, pick it up, and eat it type of clean. That's also one of the words you can use to describe the fixtures they build. They're beautiful. Really, they're pieces of artwork. It's really amazing to watch them take what are basically blocks of metal and craft them into beautiful fixtures that are used around the world on everything from aerospace to automotive products. In fact... PRZ Technologies has built a reputation as one of the worldwide leaders for fixture making in the auto industry. PRZ has made fixtures for just about every major car manufacturer, including Tesla. They're everywhere. PRZ has grown almost 300% in the past seven years. And you don't have to go much further than the owner, Walt Prisbol, to understand why. Quite frankly, he's a genius. He understands the mechanics of the machine tools so well, it allows him to create unique designs for not only the fixture, but sometimes he assists the customer to rethink their whole process when he sees a more efficient way to produce the end product. He is constantly talking to and giving advice to the lead engineers from the major automotive companies all around the world. And the best part, he never went to college. Are you kidding me? This man found his passion and created a business around it. Oh, and on the weekends, he's the crew chief for the NHRA Torrance Drag Racing Team. And for those of you who don't know what that is, the NHRA is like the NFL of drag racing, and the Torrance Racing Team would be the New England Patriots. Check them out on ESPN2 next time they show a race. It's pretty neat. Now, since its inception in 1999, Walt has done a fine job at hiring a very talented group of key managers who have played a pivotal role in PRZ's continued growth and success. Along with the key managers, PRZ has a very talented group of 15 machinists with a combined knowledge of over 200 years of machine tool experience. When I think of a well-run company, one of the first companies that always comes to mind is PRZ Technologies. It's a great company with great people who truly believe in their mission to make your advanced CNC manufacturing ideas and concepts that seem impossible a reality. Check them out at prztech.com. That's prztech.com.